Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, and chapter 2, 4 through 15. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Chapter 2. These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation at the time that the Lord made Lord God made the earth and the heavens. No shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted for the sprouted, for the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. But mist would come up from the earth and water all the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and then there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance, and God good fruit, good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river ran out from Eden to the water, the garden. From there it divided and became the source of four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, which flows through the entire land of Havala, where there is gold. Gold from the land is pure, Belevium and Onyx also there. The name of the second river is Gihon, which flows through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which runs east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. Uh, I'm sorry that today's sermon is titled uh, Work in Progress, which basically my sermon is also a work in progress. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just really thankful to be with you guys. And um, yeah, every Sunday uh, that I, I like to, uh, when I'm preaching, I always like to share a little story. And uh, but today, because the work topic or the topic is on work, I'm going to share with you guys my first job. And um, for those of you guys who had your first job at 16, I was not one of those kids. I was 18 when I got my first job. I was a late bloomer. And uh, I didn't have a job until uh, college, and I went to UCSD. So those of us who went to UCSD, or if that's your dream school, um, I worked for their IT department. And uh, this job was unlike any other job that I've experienced because it was my first one, right? It was... uh, it was where it taught me about excellence, consistency, how do I hold my job, how do I talk to other people, how do I embrace the customer and talk to them and engage with them. But it was, it was in this job that um, taught me about what it meant to be human, right? How do I connect with professors when they're uh, running and uh, scatterbrained and had all these viruses that they somehow found on their computer, right? Uh, my job was to fix it, and I had to talk to these professors, these students. We had to fix laptops, desktops, servers, systems, and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and that was the first line of defense for the campus. But of course, in order for me to get this job, there was a two-step process. The first process was something called, that they called the humbler. 
It was basically a fragmented Windows 95 machine. Everything was completely decimated physically. And software-wise, they chose every single thing to break within the Windows software, and you basically had two hours to fix it. And so I sat there sweating, not really understanding what to do. And I thought I was pretty good with computers at the time. Um, and then by the end of the challenge, they basically wanted to know, did you give up? Did you sweat? And how did you fix this problem? Right? And the funny part was, at the end of the exam, they were like, how many per how, what percent did you think you fixed? And I thought, you know, like, I got pretty far. I got things to boot up a little bit. The CD thing works now. And uh, I said, 10%. And they're like, no, you got like 3%. <laughs> but the funny part was, it was humiliating to say that, right? And then, you know, you're young, you're a kid, so everything meant a lot to you, right? And so, but the funny part was, the boss then paneled you alongside with other technicians and said, you got the job. The, the, the thing that was pivotal about this job also was that it, was, it taught me so much about humility. Right? I almost got kicked out in this job so many times because I grew complacent. Right? If it's your first job, you don't always work so hard. You think like, oh, I've mastered this part. I can just sail. Right? But the reality is every job requires excellence. And I think down the line, I was so fortunate to find out that my IT manager was also a pastor. <laughs> and he helped really shepherd me and shepherd the rest of our crew to help us to understand that in any work that we do, the goal is the eventual passing of the baton. Not only are you supposed to grow, you're supposed to bring others alongside of you, right? To develop and to share in the joy of the knowledge and the learning that you've grown in. And that really left a lasting impact on me, right? It, it taught me about life. It taught me about what to consider down the line with other jobs. And so today, as we look at the reality of the beginning, that God is with Adam and Eve he is providing Adam and Eve with the first job, right? It is the first job that God has. It is the first job that Adam and Eve has. And as you guys are following along and taking notes, the first point would be the first jobs. The second is the perfect workplace and the echo of Eden. And the third is the joy of restoration in work. So the first part, the first roles. So we look in this passage, right? From, from the beginning of chapter 1 all the way through chapter 2, we see that God is the first worker. Contrary to popular belief, man is not the first worker, but it's God. And if you guys look at it with me to verse 26, we see that God is the first potter, making man in our image and likeness. Verse 26 again, God is the first administrator. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds, and the sky, and the livestock. Verse 27, God is an artist and also a taxonomist, making man in his image, creating beauty of two distinct genders, male and female, further creating and making an order in the taxonomy of human and non-human creatures, right? In verse 28, we see that God is a priest. He's blessing them. He's calling them, right, to be fruitful and to multiply. Let's jump with me to, to the second passage, right? In verse 4. God, we see here, is an ecological engineer, right? He's building the planets. He's building the star systems. He's creating the earth and heavens to create a place that is sustainable for life. And in verse 5 through 9, we see God is shown in greater detail of giving boundaries, limits to creation, binding his creatures to specific areas of life 
and time. And what we see here is that God is the original creator. Before there were TikTok creators and YouTube creators talking about themselves, God is speaking to his creatures into existence, right? And what's also interesting to note, right, is that there are things that are clearly in God's jobs, and there are things that are considered man's jobs, right? And in God's jobs, we see that there's a distinction that's given in Genesis between the creator and the created. And even though we are created and we reflect him and we image him, there are jobs that we cannot perform. The job of creating life, for example, right? Like a lot of people say, hey, we made a baby together. We created together, right? Or we've created this software or this program, right? But those, that's not the same thing as what it's talking about here, right? If we look carefully, the Hebrew word for the word um, creating is the word bara, right? And it occurs five times throughout the entire Bible. And this verb is very unique to God because it's only used by God and for God, right? God bara the heavens, right? God bara him male, male and female, bara, he bara them, right? And it's this unique word that we find that there's an exclusivity to who God is and his attributes, right? But obviously in English, we can use the word creating, right? Interchangeably with God creates, man creates. But, but to break it up like this way, the Hebrews reserve creating for God and make building and forming can be used for men. But for us, we cannot make things out of nothing, right? It is clearly only God that's able to do that. And so like what Pastor Eric told us about last week, right? Even though humanity was made to be in paradise, was made to have all of his needs and her needs met, um, they still have to work, right? And it's not because of the fall that man is destined to work, but man was created to work, and even though the fall has happened, he is still forced to work in some ways, right? So let's take a look now. Now we know what God's roles are. What about for men and for women? So Man and woman, Adam and Eve, are actually the second workers, right? They are the first employees, if you will, of God. In verse 26, we're introduced, first of all, to that first purpose. And it's the word radah, the word rule, which means to have dominion, I'm sorry, dominion, rule, and to dominate, right? Where it says, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, the creatures and the, that crawl on the earth. And verse 28 if you look with me, we're introduced to the second part, which is to be fruitful, right? Para, to, to, to be and to become much and many, to multiply, which is rabah, and, and to subdue it with his kabash, which is to subdue, to subjugate, and in some context, to bring into bondage, which can sound kind of awful in our context today, right? But the idea is, and as one scholar says it this way, humanity was given a twofold cultural mandate. Right? to fill the earth, to rule as benevolent kings. And again, we see this over and over reiterated throughout the Bible. Right? In Genesis 9, chapter 2, right after the flood, we see that Noah is given this task. Right? The fear and the terror of you will be in every living creature on the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. And so we see this happening right after the flood, after the second recreation, right? And in Psalm 8, verses 5 through 8, this is during David's time, 
You made him a little less than God, crowned him with glory and honor. You made him rule over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep, oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea that pass through the current of the seas. And even though we see that the cultural mandate is really echoing throughout of Scripture, there is a process, though, however, that we sometimes forget what that purpose really means. And so let's, let's keep going to, um, to the second passage in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And again, we see here that God has gifted man work, right? That not only is he meant to work, he is to cultivate it. In some translations, they would say it, right? But the Hebrew word for work here is abad, which is to work, right? But it's not just a gardening term. It's not just working this garden. It also, if you keep looking throughout the scriptures, it also means to serve. And you see this come up again when, you guys know the story of Jacob and Leah, right? And Rachel, when, when Jacob wanted to marry this beautiful girl, Rachel, he ends up marrying her sister, Right? So he had to abide for seven years, right? And then he abided again for seven years just to be able to marry Rachel, right? And so now let's take a look at the final word, right? To watch over it, right? And this is a word in the Hebrew called shama, um, which is to keep or to watch and to guard and to preserve, right? And again, the idea of guarding and preserving is to keep, right? So you can see Abraham you know, keeping the covenants of God. We keep the covenants of God. And so I know I jumped around a lot. There's a lot more language than I'm used to on a particular sermon. (laughs) But as a recap, if you can hang with me here, humanity's purpose and role in the world as God's image barrier and representative is to rule, to be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, to work it or to serve it, and to finally to keep watch and to preserve and to guard it. Right? So that's a mouthful, right? Um, more can be said about, obviously, about the roles of what, how God has played um, in bringing about creation. But, but the idea is that God is the first worker, and he made humans uh, and gave them the role of guarding and ruling over the creatures of the earth. All right? So that's the big theological piece, right? Which gets us to our next point, which is the perfect workplace and the echo of Eden. And so, what is the perfect workplace? In the context of Genesis, we can see that paradise in Eden is indeed the best and most perfect uh, workplace. Because why? You have the perfect boss, right? God was the first boss, and he was the perfect boss, which means that he's not going to get on their nerves, right? He wasn't micromanaging. And in fact, if there was something that existed here that... um, that was no longer true in our world is that if we jump into any type of work today, we can meet all kinds of bosses, right? Bosses that hate us, bosses that love us, bosses that are basically not like God, not consistent, right? And so what ends up happening that we notice too in Eden is that there was also no frustration or pain, right? And in whatever God did, right, in, in the beginning and the end, Everything that he did in the beginning and end of Genesis was that there was no resistance. All of creation simply happens in accordance to his will. There was no rebellion. 
There was no one trying to uh, deceive him. God speaks and things happen, right? God spoke and the sky was made. God planted the garden and it began to grow and everything that God did was perfectly executed by his will and there was nothing to resist it, right? And the next part that I would say that was amazing was that there was complete trust, right? God gave Adam and Eve complete trust over the new creation, giving them everything that they needed to do their job. And this is sometimes often missed in our workplaces. People don't really trust each other, right? When someone asks you to do something, you're not sure if they're gonna do it. Um, and when we're about to hire somebody, we give them a probationary period, right? I'm not sure if you're gonna do your job, so you have about six months to a year, and then we'll let you go if we don't like you, right? Um, and then we, we give employees, especially contract workers, no benefits, but we expect them to do the whole job of what an employee is hired to do. But this is not what we see here in the Garden of Eden. We see God giving them full rights, full benefits, full everything, and he loved them, right? He gave them everything that they were created to do, gave them the job that they were supposed to be good at, and they are good at, and yet this is not what we see, right? Our current workplace, what's that like? I mean, so much more could be stated about work, but I would say there's probably uh, three things that we can look at right now that will shape the way we feel about work, right? I mean, some of us here are disillusioned with our work, right? Maybe you're sitting here and in the pews today and you're glad to be here because at least it's not work, right? No boss breathing down your neck, thousands of emails you can just slightly ignore for the next hour because you're here with God, right? So it's okay. You don't really get along with everyone at your work or your team. And maybe there's a member on uh, your other teams that can't wait to get your job. There's just no trust, right? And the reality is, this is hard, challenging, and it wasn't supposed to be that way. Or perhaps if you're, you know, you're not going through the disillusionment of work, you have no job, you have no work. Some of us here have gone through seasons of unemployment, right? And we know here from the passage of Genesis uh, that we were created to work, right? Certainly to live in the world, we're called to do something, but yet we're exposed to layoffs, unjust firings, uh, disability. Uh, and there are seasons in life where God perhaps takes away that path, right? There's no work, or rather there's no income, or you feel ashamed and perhaps a loss of identity. And friends, this is hard. It's challenging but it's not supposed to be this way. Or perhaps some of you here have a job that you love, right? You started a business, or you have that dream corporate job. You, you have an amazing salary package, a bonus, and your dream house, you have an awesome family. But deep down you know that you will die, and everything will end someday. And so instead of slowing down, working less, you work harder, pass time faster. You tell yourself, as long as you're earning, your family legacy is at stake. Your kids will have something if you keep working. But yet your life is full of exhaustion, anxiety, worry, fear. This is hard. It's challenging. And it's not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be that way because of the fall. I know we didn't dwell into that, and we'll dwell into it in a couple weeks, but in Genesis 3, we see that 
the fall of humanity is what is causing all of this, right? It's, it's the curse that's reversing the entire blessing in the cultural mandate. And God says this, right? He says, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by the means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. And so, the perfect workplace doesn't really exist in our world, and yet we keep striving for it. We keep wanting to build it, right? And the desire to have a perfect workplace in a fallen world is merely an echo of Eden in our hearts, where Adam, the first man, was meant to have a wonderful relationship with work and with the earth, to reign over it, right? Instead, he's met with frustration, confusion, and eventually, he would end up becoming dirt again. The ground, instead of yielding to him, swallows him up. And we see this over and over in our lives, right? Sin in our lives and other people's lives disintegrate the greatest aspects of our work, the greatest accolades of our work, the, the, the very diplomas that we earn are now stained because of all the horrible things that that institution or the leaders of the particular institution have caused. And everything is painful. There will be thorns and thistles no matter how positive or how kind you are in your job. Eventually, you and I will die. I mean, we're meant to bring so much value into this world through work, but instead we see constant distortions, one after the other, Right? But that's reality, friends. Apart from God, humanity continues to be foolish and, in fact, stupid in the ways that it deals with this life. And instead of coming to God, our very source of life, we would rather build systems and ecosystems that would extract value out of each other instead of providing value to one another, right? Even the best and brightest companies in our worlds are doing this right now, and it's sad. Right? For those of us, the best way in which to make bank is to work for Fang, right? to work for Apple or Amazon. Right? And you can see in these cultural uh, juggernauts of our day, they're creating all kinds of ecosystems, all kinds of Edenic places that they would say. Right? You know, Amazon, I don't know if you guys recently visited Seattle, but they built these beautiful structures, like they call it the spheres, right? And these spheres are meant to like, hold over 40,000 species of plants. Can you believe that? And it's all meant to beautify their campus while you get your free dry clean, you get your free food, you get your free everything. And ultimately, what they're really trying to do is don't leave this. This is your Eden. You will work for us, and we will take all of you out of you until there's nothing left of you. But there's always new kids coming around. There's UCSD, UCLA, USC, whatever. They're just going to replace you because you are replaceable. The world's governments understands this. The world's nations understand this. But it was not supposed to be this way, right? And even if you don't work for these amazing companies, right, we build we try to build Edenic environments into our jobs, right? We try to find the place with the best healthcare. Is it Kaiser Permanente or is it PPO or what is it, right? Are you going to give me like multiple uh, days off? Can I take a day off whenever I want to, right? We look for all these perks, 
to provide for us, to provide for our family, but they're nothing more than an echo of what God has placed in our hearts. At the end of the day, we're nothing more than cogs in a wheel, companies hoping to extract profit from us for the sake of shareholders. But instead of looking to human flourishing, we encourage each other. Instead of carrying out the cultural mandate, we are called to succumb to further sin. And I think it's because of this, right? Friends, because of the fall, we're, 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 we're stuck with this disease, right? And in our work, instead of having a, an attitude of abundance, we're, we have a scarcity mindset. There's never going to be enough food, never going to be enough toilet paper, never going to be enough real estate, never going to be enough houses, right? And so we got to hustle up and, and get this as soon as possible. Or we're self-focused, right? Because we desire to get ahead of others. Or when we watch other people get ahead of jobs, we feel the scarcity uh, fear kick in. Or, or if we don't feel any of those, we're, we, we feel the insecurity of our weaknesses in our jobs, right? We hate people that are stronger than us. And so we pretend on our resume to look more important than we are, right? You guys ever seen the, the picture between like... Uh, uh, they give the resume of Darth Vader, you know? Like, what Darth Vader really is, which is father of Luke, emperor of whatever, and then the LinkedIn version of him, which lists, like, all these important aspects of who he is. He runs the Death Star. He understands how to use a lightsaber and all these things. Right? It's pretty funny. But the idea is that we are insecure about our weaknesses oftentimes, right? And most of all, we fear taking advantage of, Right? And so we don't welcome people in our jobs. We, we fear that when we welcome another member into our workplaces, sometimes we fear that they might dominate us, subjugate us, reign over us, and control us, right? But notice, notice with me, if you look throughout the first two passages, you can see that there is no subjugation of humanity. God doesn't say, reign over humans. <laughs> reign over my images, right? He doesn't say that. He says, reign over the creatures, the birds. And, and so there's a distinction but yet that, that reality, this brokenness, this hopelessness is what we live in. So what are we to do? What are we to do? There's a story that I want to tell um, about uh, a guy who basically believed in a few things about God and changed the entire fabric of history. Most of us here, uh, how many of us here, can I get a show of hands, drive a, a, a Japanese car? Yeah? Quite a few. That's over half, right? Half of us drive a Japanese car. I don't know if you guys know this, but Japanese cars weren't always great. Japanese engineering was not also great. There was a period in time, remember in Back to the Future, where, you know, Marty McFly was actually saying, you know, Japan makes amazing things now, right? And this is the 80s, right? But back in the 50s, their products were not great. Um, so there's a story of Edward Deming, and if you guys know anything about him, he is the father of, like, quality control. MIT graduate, Bell Labs worker, amazing guy, gifted, and he was a Christian, though his theology was not great. He was a Christian. <laughs> but uh, he was an analyst that worked with, uh, with statistics for MIT. And he told Ford that what you were doing in your companies are destroying lives. They're crushing workers, and they're dissolving their desire to improve the car. And if you know anything about the 50s, Ford was a juggernaut, and still is in some ways, right? They dominated the car industry. And so they didn't care. They didn't want to listen to him. And so 
Deming, what he did was he, he was like, all right, if you guys are not going to listen, I'm going to go help somebody else. And so he decides to go to Japan. He goes to Japan in the 50s and talks to the Japanese Union of Scientists and Engineers, and he basically taught them the 14 principles. It's called the Deming Principle. Or today in the Japanese system, they call it Kaizen, right? Or the Toyota way, right? But this system that he introduced, I'll just name one because there's so many, right? Number eight really drives home. He says, drive out fear so that everyone at work may work effectively for the company. Drive out fear. Where do you think he got, he got that idea? That's from the scriptures, right? Love casts out all fear. And when love is able to cast out all fear, what happens to the individual? We become more creative. We desire to work. We become more loyal. We, we have joy. And, and history will tell for, from itself, right? Like, what contributed to Japan was not just one car being made better, an entire country changed from the inside out from the way they worked, right? The quality started to increase, the people were starting to be taken care of. And that produced what we know in the 80s as the Japanese social economic miracle, right? It destroyed, if you put a transmission system between Ford and Toyota, Toyota. Even though they're small, um, micro differences between the two engines and, and, and the ways in which they built the system. But the encouraging part today is not so much about, we should go buy a Japanese car. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> the important system here today with a guy who was a nominal Christian at best, who went to church on Sunday, decided to say, you know what? I believe in this one principle, and I'm going to change it into the ways in which I teach students from other countries that don't know about you, what's gonna happen? It changed the entire fabric. It produced more opportunities for the people to live. It, it brought down people that had a low standard of living and brought them up, right? Friends, if it took one principle of God to change an entire nation, what would it be like for us to believe the whole counsel of God? What will it look like? Friends, if, 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 if we don't trust in the Lord today, I would like to invite us to repent and to turn, right? And this leads us to our third and final point, which is this joy of restoration. You know, as we seek to recover what it means to be human in our work, as God's image bearers, let's go back once again to remember what God has made us to do. He made us to rule, to be fruitful, to multiply, to subdue the earth, to work it, to serve it, to finally keep watch and to preserve and guide it. And the only way that we can possibly do that is if we look to Jesus and to believe in him. As it was in the garden for Adam, for him to receive all the benefits, all the, the beautiful aspects of his work, he had to believe he had to believe that God was saying what he was saying. And as the same for us, for us to receive the blessing of God, we have to put our faith in him and in him alone. And if we go back, right, the echoing of Genesis is, is, is going all the way throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, and we can see it finally in, in, in Hebrews, right? In Hebrews verse 2, verses 5 to 9, it says this, for he has not subjected, or sorry, subjected to the angels the world to come that we are talking about. But someone somewhere else has testified. 
What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For every, in every subjecting and everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time, so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Jesus is the perfect image of God, right? He came down from heaven to rescue us, to become a child, to grow up, and he got a job. He became a carpenter. And this carpenter got nailed to two pieces of wood, right? And instead of allowing us to be continually swallowed up by the ground, he himself was subjected to the ground and the ground swallowed him up. But it is in this death, friends, it is in this death that he has finally given us the power to come back to him, right? He restored the relationship with us. With not just work, with all aspects of who we are, right? And so Jesus came to live a life that we could not live, died a death that we could not die, and rose again to restore us and bring us back again to become co-heirs with him as his image. And I love this verse. This is a verse that I used to pray every time I went into work, um, when I worked back in IT. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. And so just as Jesus had so much joy in restoring us back to himself, we can also receive that joy, right? I mean, there's, there's something in us that loves to see restoration, right? You guys ever watch those videos like Chip and Joanna Gaines, right? Flip houses, right? They take something completely decimated and they build it all the way back up and you're like, I want to live there, right? My recent gig um, was that I've been looking up how to clean vans because it gets dirty so quickly. There's a guy on YouTube that all he posts is like the dirtiest car as possible, right? And you're like, how did you make your car look awful like that, right? Like french fries everywhere, Skittles everywhere, buckets of old Big Gulp in the basement of the seat of the car. It's disgusting, right? But he would spend like an hour in this video just cleaning, cleaning, <laughs> restoring. And then all of a sudden, you see this couple roll in and you're like, dude, you look so clean. Like, how did you let your car fall into disarray? But it was so satisfying to watch that, right? Um, we love restoration, friends, and, and I think there's an insatiable desire in our hearts to see disorder come back to order, from nothing to something, from purposelessness to purposefulness. And over and over, we see this in our movies, in our books, and in our stories. And when we can't reflect this, we feel incomplete. But friends, I want to I wanna bring this back to you what are you supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? I know I can't cover every job, but I'm just going to rattle off a few because I know some of you are in these positions. I mean, if you're a programmer, you know that your job, right, is to restore the integrity of your databases and so forth. Right? That's a big job. I can't have my Google Photos without it. Right? <laughs> um, if you're a doctor, you restore someone's health, right, or a particular area of their body, right? If you're a physical therapist, you restore movement and muscles back into where it should be. If you're an artist, you restore someone's perception of beauty, 
If you're a dentist, you know, you restore someone's teeth. If you're a baker or chef or sommelier, like you're restoring someone's taste for what's better food out there, right? If you're a trash picker, you clean up or you're a maid, you're restoring order back to the facilities in which you're called to. If you're a financial planner, you're called to restore someone's savings and lost income, right? If you're a lawyer or a judge, you're restoring justice to society. You're a teacher, you restore knowledge and you serve the kids in restoring the understanding of the world. If you're a student here today, you're restoring a sense of curiosity of how the world works and how to make it better. So friends, whatever we do, I know there's so much more that can be talked about on this topic. Whatever we do, as we look to Christ, we remember, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as you're working to the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much um, for today, uh, for giving us this opportunity to reflect on work. Um, we are such a work in progress, Lord. As soon as we learn something, we forget it. As soon as we learn something that we um, have fallen through, we repeat it. But Lord, we ask that you continue to work through our lives, give us the joy um, of your salvation, so that in every aspect that we love our neighbor, serve our companies, serve our uh, communities and neighborhoods, and work unto you, so that someday we will see everything restored. In Jesus' name, amen.